to Mace Way tonight. Glad you're here. Come on and grab a seat. We're going to try to get going as we move into a little more darkness. Nearing uh, Halloween and All Saints Day. This is a song that says, uh, I can't change the world, can't change everything around me, but when I rejoice, sometimes I can change the world in me. It's falling, falling outside a building, comes tumbling down. Inside a child on the ground says he'd do it again. Well, what am I to do? What in the world am I to say? There's nothing else to do. He says he'll change the world someday. I rejoice. So if you're just getting the hang of this, grab your lyrics. Find your seat. Start over with the first verse. Falling, it's falling outside a building, comes tumbling down. Inside a child on the ground says he'd do it again. Well, what am I to do? What in the world am I to say? There's nothing else to do. He says you'll change the world someday. I reach
to Emmaus Way. Thanks for that, guys. That was awesome. Good, lively fall tune to get us uh, to get us ready. It's good to have you guys here, to have Wade and Tim and Dale with us tonight. Um, if this is your first time at Emmaus Way, or first time in a while, or if you just don't know my name, I'm Amy. I'm one of our pastors here, and um, we're excited that you have gathered with us tonight. Um, Emmaus Way is a community that is passionate about finding places where the gospel um, intersects with our lives and and being a part of God's larger story here in Durham and kind of in our communities, wherever that leads us. Um, We have several things that go on throughout our week that um, we kind of gather together on Sunday nights, obviously, but we also gather um, in home groups um, and in pub groups. And if either of those, or one pub group, not several, um, unless there's been a migration. Um, a coup. There was a coup. <laughs> there was a coup. It was the Bull McCabe's uh, uprising. Um, but if you were interested in gathering uh, with a group of people um, throughout the week, our home group's uh, coordinator is Elizabeth Evert, who's right here. And I don't think your email's on here, but it's on the uh, website. And then our pub group coordinator is... Less pub-like, more dad-like these days. Dan Rhodes is our uh, coordinator. I don't think he... Oh, just walked in. Just to shame me. There you are, Dan. So if you are interested in uh, getting connected with the pub reading, we do, they do a reading every week, an article, um, please email Dan Rhodes or see one of us. Um, we had something going on today with Durham Can um, that I was not able to go to, but I would love to hear how Souls to the Poles went. Dave, could you give us an update? We had, uh, we had about 150, 200 people or so from uh, various you know, congregations and uh, organizations around the area. We met at First Presbyterian Church, um, had a couple speakers, and then we walked and marched down along Main Street to the pullover at the uh, bus depot here on Main Street, and uh, got to do some early voting. Nice. So it was a good turnout. Awesome. That sounds great. I was, yeah, sometimes you never know. Is it going to be 10 people? Is it going to be 100? That's a, that's a great turnout. Um, one of our partnerships here at Emmaus Way is uh, with Durham Can, which is a, a nonpartisan affiliated um, organizing group. And we have several folks that are involved in that. If that's something that sounds appealing to you, if you'd like to get involved, please let um, Dave or um, Dan know about that. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, we have some things on our calendar. Um, this Thursday is our kind of traditional All Saints gathering, and um, that's a night that we get together and we talk about um, people, uh, things, music, art in our lives that have been really transformational and kind of telling our story of faith. And this year, particularly, we're going to talk about our kind of um, our stories of faith in our childhood and our upbringing and, and what that looks like. And uh, the Fishbacks have very graciously offered to host us at their home, so we will put their um, address up on the website and in the weekly. And also a very important reminder, 
it is a dessert party. That's, so, that's the most important That's part. right. How has dessert formed your and life? And if you just want to tell stories right. about dessert, yeah, that's, that's right. actually okay, too. If you want to use dessert metaphors the whole night, no one will, no one will blame you. Um, also, coming up in a couple weeks, we are going to do um, something interesting with one of our gatherings. On November 18th, we are going to do... Um, Instead of kind of our regular setup, we are going to gather around um, basically dinner tables. And we are going to do a gathered meal as the centerpiece of our uh, worship gathering. So for that night, we're going to ask everyone to bring um, our theme is kind of soups, stews, chilies, and bread. So if any of those sound appealing to you, if you have a special kind of diet or a special recipe that you want to share with us, um, if it's gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian, I'm sure there will be some carnivorous dishes here too. But we would love if everybody could bring um, a meal and we'll have a sign-up sheet for that as it comes closer. And that's going to be kind of part of the series that we're in now, which is um, how do we practice kind of who we are as a community in these, in these gathered um, spaces. So it's great to see everybody tonight um, and welcome to Amaze Way. Thanks, Amy. And uh, next week, too, um, an artist um, friend, someone who taught with Denise last year, um, who's been a professional artist for a while, um, is going to help us. She's really um, excellent at helping all kinds of folks learn that art is not outside of any of our bounds, that creativity is something that we can all practice. And um, so she will be here next week, um, and Amy's going to be leading our conversation. So we'll have two Amy's. It'll be the night of two Amy's. So hope that you'll enjoy that. And then... Um, Wanted to uh, call your attention to the songs of preparation tonight. We've got two that are, um, this song Saved is one that we've had for a while. We had it on our Right 7 project, and it's one that's talking about the different ways that we're saved. I think sometimes we can uh, be involved in churches, and we'll hear about salvation in, in a certain very specific way. Um, and, and you kind of realize that if you go to church for a while, that people don't really agree about how that works exactly. Um, but one of the things that we've been talking about with regard to practice is that there are ways that as we love we grow into love we learn how to be more loving and i think that's a part of this saved conversation and uh, like i said it's if you go to uh itunes you can look uh, under uh, Emmaus way and it's under right seven um this is also a jan arden song so her version is very beautiful and then um the next song shelter is also another one that we hope is a very practical conversation about how we can be shelter for each other and uh the this uh, song is by Lone Justice, and uh, it's on one of the early records, but it's also on a record I did a, a, a couple years ago, so you can check that out on iTunes, both, both versions there. So anyway, sing along with us on uh, Saved Here. Lived a good life, lived a sweet life. Had the sun on my face I had fallen on my knees And been amazed well, I have walked beneath The brilliance of a perfect sky Oh, I am Get in. Let's do the first verse again. Lived a good life. Lived a good life. Lived a sweet life. For I had the sun on my face. I have fallen to my knees and been amazed. 
beneath the brilliance of a perfect sky. Oh, I am some of the 
things that we've done in terms of um, projects and, and stuff, it's not really to just say, oh, hey, go buy our records. It's Certainly we appreciate the, that happening, but really it's because uh, we want these, these songs to be able to be liturgies for your lives. So we, we, we've done these songs and we've bothered to record them because we feel like as we've spent time with them that they've spoken to our lives over and over again, that there's ways that there's a conversation between these songs in our lives. And so if you're someone who doesn't listen to songs that often or doesn't listen to music that often, it can be a little bit odd to think, you know, listening to a song multiple times. But that's part of why we do the, the lyrics for you and also try to have these online. And then Josh Bussman, if you can ask him about it, Josh has a very large Spotify list of the music that we do at Emmaus Way. And so there are multiple ways for people to listen to these songs to have them filter into your life. And I think you'll find that as you get more familiar with these, they, they do begin to speak to you in places um, uh, where you might not expect it. So again, uh, sing along with us uh, if you like on Shelter. Darkness has left 
you blind Yeah, but I'll light the fire in your eyes So let me be a shelter, a shelter From the storm outside Let me be a shelter, a shelter From the endless night Well, let me be a shelter, a shelter From the storm outside Let me be a shelter, shelter From the endless night Let me be a shelter, shelter Shelter, shelter Hey, everybody. Hey, I have a quick word on a couple of things tonight, uh, song and worship and right seven-ish tonight. Uh, Wade, I want to pile on that if I can. One of the things that we kind of imagine every week um, as part of kind of preparing our worship gathering is to not overemphasize the 90 minutes that happens between 5 o'clock and 6.30, but in some ways this idea of practice is a thing that we think about all the time, the reality that we are practicers, we are doers, we are worshipers with the whole of our lives, and we worship lots of things, we have lots of identities, but one of the things that we try to think a lot about is uh, crafting prayers, activities, worship, next week art, things like that, that become part of your lived life. Um, and and I, um, Josh Busman has been a real big influence uh, on me on this, the idea of learning that a lot of times people think of worship and there's a whole kind of genre of worship that's deeply passive, the idea that you just kind of gather in a space and hope God does something. And, and in some ways, we're, we're doing that a little bit differently with the reality that our lives are practices of worship. And one of the things that we, we're doing and hoping and imagining is that the music and the things that we do, it's the reason we make it available to you throughout the week. Um, and one of the things that is going to happen fairly soon, Amy and I are working on this project, is we are going to be turning a portion of our website into a kind of a prayer book for our community, which will take things like music and and uh, things that we do, poems, things that you folks, you, you folks have contributed to our life here, and crafting them in a way that helps us pray, think, and imagine. And this week, if you have the chance to listen to this music again, and some of it you can hear on studio with, that's been done in studio with Right 7, is um, I, I want to give you the lens of practice as a way of listening to this music this week, because all of it implies activity. Even things like rejoicing, the U2 song, perhaps one of the most difficult practices that we have in life is the practice of gratitude. I, but it's one that sets up all sorts of things. So I wanted to pile on that, and, and one of the things that's one of the, my favorite things that's on my all of my devices are the kind of three, I think we've done three installments of Write 7. We've done a, a, um, a um, 
just a, I don't think we did the Advent one first. That was the second one. So there, uh, some, a lot of that has just really been wonderfully crafted in studio. And we're going to, Amy's going to get on me to make sure that we get this done so that this will be arranged for you in a way. But anyway, I want to give you an opportunity to stand up, greet the people who are around you, offer them the peace of Christ. If you're around somebody you don't know, introduce yourself and uh, we'll jump into the dialogue here in about two minutes. So, want to call your attention to a couple things tonight as well. We'll keep reminding you of this. Um, one of the things back behind the wall there is um, some uh, cushions and prayer space for folks that, if, if the practice of prayer is an important aspect of your participating in our worship gathering, that's thanks to Kenny has been set up every week as a way of offering you that space. And then I think my friend Rose might let you uh, share art space with her there. And uh, one of the things we also are very aware of is that if you're a creative person and you find that the best way to participate is by, uh, by making something, uh, being, a, being creative, please join that space. There's art supplies and, and uh, room for you there. And if we need more room, we'll make more room. And uh, that sounds good. Andrew, quick question. I saw your son cruise by. Was that the Tin Man I saw today? No. Oh, okay. I'm glad you cleared that up. We were having a vigorous debate in this corner about that, but that was stylish. Um, so, hey, and I'm going to uh, just quickly mention our friend Stefan is here, who is the U.S. director, I think that's right, for Questscope International that Chancey worked for for three or four years at least. Uh, um, and um, Kurt Rhodes, who is the founder of Questscope, has been here several times. Stefan has been with us. They do um, amazing work. I mean, the nugget on them is that they're doing what they call non-formal education, which is largely educating uh, youth, uh, women, others in the Middle East, all over the Middle East, who have been kind of removed from the educational system. They use a spiritual formation model, which is amazing. And then the thing that... Stefan, people probably think you're lying when you tell them about this, but they actually work with Muslim and Christian kids side by side. The, the office there, I've, I've been there for a week or two a couple times, uh, is, is uh, mixed between uh, Muslims and Christians, and they have this spiritual formation model that the countries that receive them... Um, Syria, Egypt, a uh, bunch of them, uh, they're based in Jordan, um, um, is excited about that model. It's not some sort of underground movement type of thing. It's, it's very enmeshed in the culture, but fantastic stuff. And if you've heard about Questcope or want to know a little bit more about that, uh, Stefan is here. You can ask a question. Where were you today, uh, Stefan? You were, you were speaking and uh, doing music somewhere today. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming. It's good to have you here as always uh, with that. So tonight we're going to do a little bit of a different kind of thing is somewhere about Thursday or Friday I decided that I was going to preach a sermon about being a community of practice tonight. So uh, we've been talking about this whole idea of what does it mean to be a practicing community. Now in my tradition the sermon was a message which kind of implied that it was a message from God. And we're not going there. <laughs> so, so you're safe. You're not going to get a message from God from me tonight. But I thought we would just kind of start with a sermon and then morph to something else. So uh, just to do that well, let me... Um, I, in fact, I used to have a friend who was a, a, an, a lay preacher in an African-American church. 
And uh, in my former church, when I would speak, and obviously it was a more formal environment, it was a bigger deal, and you know, you had to kind of write stuff down and know what you were going to say in advance and, <laughs> and be somewhat prepared, right? And I was speaking about something, I can't even remember what it was, but I was pretty passionate about it. I was, I was you know, really, it was intense to me. And, and um, he came up to me afterwards and he said, Tim, that was an okay job. In fact, you almost preached today. <laughs> and I think, you know, from, you know, from the African-American tradition, that, that was a pretty good compliment for me, that I, somewhere I'd gotten from whatever I normal, normally did to almost preached that day. So, uh, so uh, you're going to be inflicted with some almost preaching uh, tonight. So, but to do that, I feel like I need to change my garb here a little bit. friend Brian McLaren that says people will actually take you seriously if you wear a blazer even if you're saying the craziest of stuff. <laughs> I don't know who gave me this tie but the only mission from God tie seems to fit perfectly on the uh, preaching thing here. So, Keenan said I should have had some Blues Brothers stuff, uh, some glasses or stuff. But so we're going to do a little preaching today. Can I get a witness to start this off? <laughs> Was that Dave Teeson? You were ready. Now we're good. Now we're good. I'm, I'm very out of practice. Now, you know, typical sermons feel like, you know, let me give you a little roadmap here so you know where we're going. We're going to start with a little biblical text because it's got to have a biblical text, right? And then there's going to be a bit of a setup and, um, and then there'll be a single point to this sermon. So, uh, Brandon, I'm sorry, I, you and I kind of did the Gordon Conwell thing. You were educated on three points, right? And three illustrations or so just the one point. So, uh, we're the scaled down sermon tonight, but so let's start with a text. Would somebody first, I want to queue up a reader on this. Uh, look in your, your little handout. We've got Matthew uh, 21 tonight. Would somebody be willing to read that for me tonight when we get to it? Anybody up for that? I'll do it. You're in, man. All right. So here's the, here is the setup to the text tonight. So in Matthew 21, we've got a, a, a text that begins with some pretty familiar stuff. Jesus has made it to Jerusalem. If you're familiar with all with the New Testament, this is his kind of triumphant entry into Jerusalem, uh, kind of hailed as a king or at least somebody who's about to do something important. Um, he has, before this text, has literally gone into the, the temple area that has morphed into a marketplace. And he has cleared the temple out. He is, he is this, this idea of making profit off of the worship industry or the worship kind of practice the, of, of Israel is offensive to him. And so he has cleared the temple out and had some strong words on that. And then we're going to read this little text about a fig tree that's metaphorical. Um, uh, and then after this, he's going to tell a very pointed story, a story that's a parable about tenants that is very directed toward uh, not the people of Israel, but actually the religious elite of the people. And so that's the context by which you're hearing what Matt's going to read to us. Go for it, bud. This is Matthew 21, verses 18 to 21. In the morning when he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the side of the road, he went to it and found nothing at all on it but leaves. Then he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, 
Not only will you do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And then let me carry this out just a little bit farther. Thank you with that. So there's this story of Jesus who basically curses a innocent fig tree that's just sitting there but not producing fruit. And this tree is, uh, is given the boot. Um, right after this, the way Matthew writes the story, there is a story told about a landowner that leases his land out to tenants. And these tenants are so wicked, they do not pay their rent. Um, and he sends emissaries to them, eventually his own son to them, and they kill whoever is sent to him. Him, uh, and, and taking over the land. And here's kind of the, 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 the end of that story. Uh, catch this. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. In other words, those who think they have the kingdom of God are going to lose it and given back to a people who produce its fruit. So now we get a little bit of an idea of what Matthew is thinking about this whole fig tree thing. Is The fig tree is a metaphor for not producing fruit. The people who hear him tell this story, the leaders of the people, it says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew that he was talking about them. If you remember a couple weeks ago when I talked about Apache stories and shooting an arrow, they knew that Jesus was shooting an arrow at them and they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So this is a passage, and there's a lot of them in the New Testament, where Jesus seems to be, and the gospel writer using the words of Jesus, seems to be talking about doing the gospel. In other words, the gospel is bearing fruit. The kingdom of God is appearing in their midst, and it's happening not in a holy grail, off in the sky, why is it, why, wow, isn't that neat kind of way. It's happening in a very physical and a very real kind of way. When John the Baptist asked Jesus, um, are you the one? His answer was, are the blind given sight? Are the sick healed? Uh, in other words, is the world changing in your very midst? Am I not doing the things that would declare that I am the Messiah? So it seems to be that Matthew 21 is very oriented around the idea of doing the gospel, bearing fruit in the kingdom of God that Jesus talks about. So Using that as a jumping point, let's talk about this whole idea of practice. What does it mean to be a practicing community of faith? And a couple of folks, Amy, this may have been your point uh, to me the other day. This is important to hold on to, is when we talk about practice, Dan said this last week, the word that's often used in the Bible is works. And it's kind of like, what is works? That's a hard thing to hold on to. Um, and when I say a practicing community of faith, you might think that I'm implying some thou shalt nots, some stuff you shouldn't do, and if you do them, then you're not doing right, so to speak. But that is not what I'm thinking about at all. This is not oriented around thou shalt nots. This is oriented around very physical, very practical, very real, very embodied positive practices of the gospel. So that's the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about and the gospel writers are writing about. Now let me give you an illustration. 
And, and, and imagine, as I, there's three points to this. Imagine if you're comfortable. I'd like for you to think, am I comfortable with every element of this illustration? Um, okay, here goes this way. What if someone says, I believe the cello is a beautiful instrument. I believe it's a beautiful... I was hoping Tim Holly was going to be here tonight, but you know, I believe it's a beautiful instrument, and because I believe it's a beautiful instrument, I will learn to play it. Has anybody ever been in that boat before where you've seen somebody play something and you thought, that is just absolutely beautiful. I'm going to learn something about that instrument. Anybody done that before? A few of us, yeah. So I think, I believe the cello is a beautiful instrument. I will learn to play it. Okay, here's the second point. Are you comfortable with this? As I practice the cello, as I play it, I am becoming a cellist. As I practice, I'm becoming a cellist. Does that make sense? Third point. Unless I am a practicing cellist, I'm not a cellist at all. In other words, if, and I don't know if we probably have none of these in Emmaus way, but if you were the poser guy who carried a guitar around your college campus with the hope of picking up girls, if you were that guy, and the girls are smiling because they know some of those, that guys, that you thought, you know, do you ever play that thing? Uh, the, this point would be, you are not a guitarist. You're a poser guy carrying a guitar around a college campus, but you, because you don't play guitar, are not a guitarist. Now, no one's going to get super angry about that point, right? No, no fury. But what if we applied those three points to our faith or our identity as Christians, as people who are struggling in a certain way to follow God. What if we said this? Um, practice could be a way that we externalize our beliefs or our faith. Because we have belief and because we have faith, we go and do something about it. You might say, because I believe in God, I will practice my faith. I will diligently express the gospel. You might say that because I believe in the cello and it's a beautiful instrument. I'll learn to play it. That's a point about belief. I believe in something, so therefore I'll do something about it. But what about this? What if we say that practice shapes us as believers and followers of God? So as I practice the gospel, as I do the things the gospel talks about, like uh, feeding uh, hungry people, caring for people, living justly, all of those things, I will become a better Christian. And that's a point about discipleship, that because I have this sense of identity, I go and do it. But the third point is this. If practice defines us, as Christians, then practice becomes the critical space where we develop an identity as God followers. So what that might mean is I am not a follower of God unless I actually practice the gospel. And that's a point about identity. So the first point about belief, I believe and there I go do something, seems pretty normal. Maybe the belief about discipleship or the point about discipleship, I, because I, I practice the gospel, 
I become a better Christian. That seems to make sense. But the third point is a sticking point for a lot of people, that you don't claim having the identity of something unless you're actually doing it. Now, in those little three points, we've lived for about three or 400 years in a world where we've imagined that we can take our minds and maybe our hearts when we talk about beliefs, sometimes people are talking about their, are, their hearts, and separate them from our bodies. So people could say very comfortably, I am a follower of God. I cheat on my taxes, slap the wife around a little bit, um, commit a few crimes, I, I do all sorts of things. In fact, I'm the greediest person you know, but I adhere to right doctrine, and that's what makes me a follower of God. For about 400 years, we've been willing to accept that as possibly an intellectually plausible idea. The hard part about reading the Bible is it was never a plausible idea in in biblical times. When James wrote, as we saw last week, faith without works is dead, that's how they thought. And honestly, in the last 50 to 75 years in our own culture, we have started to realize that our essential identities, our, who we are as persons, are formed in practice, not in some sort of disembodied brain or disembodied heart. Now, the tricky thing for us is that we're part of a long tradition that has believed in that kind of body, soul, brain, body, those, those type of separations. Uh, that seems normal. And therefore, it makes it really hard for us to read passages like this in the Bible where Jesus walks by a fig tree and curses it because there's no fruit on it to make the point that people who do not bear fruit are really not his followers. It's a hard point. So our identity is formed in a space of practice. It is formed in what we do. Here comes the sermon point. Sermon's almost done. I would like to say this, that our identity as followers of God, is what I like to say, is dynamically formed in practice of the gospel. Apart from practice of the gospel, we aren't really people who are carrying an identity of the gospel. We are formed in the practice of the gospel. We are, some would say, saved in the practice of the gospel. We are followers of God. We are Christians, if you take that name, because we are followers of the gospel. This is a point that Jesus seemed to want to make a lot. And he says things like if you were to open your Bible to Matthew 25, where he tells these horrific stories of people who are pietistic, pious, godlike kind of people. And he says to them, when you did not clothe the naked, when you did not care for the weak, when you did not do these things, you didn't do them to me. And you can just hear the oh craps going all over this fictional scene because in the story, perhaps someone had this idea that you could have an identity of being one of Jesus' people without doing something about it. That In some ways, those two things could be separated. 
And my one-point sermon tonight is I don't think those are separate things. Now, the reason I didn't call this a message is God didn't tell me to tell you that. So I'm making no claim of any kind of charismatic experience that in some way says to you, uh, if you're not with me, then you got it wrong. But that's where this whole passion for this idea of practice comes out. So when we're talking about it's almost redundant. When we talk about being a community of practice, for us it would be talking about being a community. Because to claim to identify with something means to act on that. So, sermon done. Now let's talk about it. Gotta get this off now. Because that was intimidating, I'm sure. Now I want us to talk about this idea. So, here's a couple of things. Um, is someone willing to be picked on tonight that, that I could ask you some questions that you could answer kind of spontaneously? Is anybody that bold? Dave Thiessen will be picked on tonight. <laughs> Um, you're going to do all the things that Dave does tonight, but he's just going to do it a little more publicly than the rest of you. So Dave, tell me, what are your identities? I'm going to assume that you have more than one, okay? That, and, and part of practice is, and this is another bias, this is almost drifting back into the sermon, is I think we all have kind of multiple kind of things that we are. But could you identify a few identities for me of who you are? <laughs> so one of your pastors is, might even be recommending that you lie about a couple of these, but what are your identities? Um, what are my identities? <clears throat> yeah, uh, a few that jumped to mind would be, I mean, going back to the, the family, you know, identity of growing up in So that would identify with some of that, that church background that I came up with. That, that community I had there. Um, another identity, I guess. And you said Mennonite there, right? Yeah. So that's a there's a there's a faith heritage that marks you to some degree. Okay. Um, and then I can have another identity where I think of my my college school period. You know, identify as you know, went to Missouri, University of Missouri, so I can identify with that crowd of people, that the friendships, the community that I had there. Um, so. Okay, so you're a, a Missouri alum, and we're really sorry about that, by the way, but some of these will be really positive. Yeah, and so, but, so, you, so you got the kind of this religious heritage thing, you got the Missouri thing going, what else? Um, what other identities? <laughs> and occupation, occupational identity. Um, I mean, what do I do during my day? So what do you do for a living, Dave? What do I do for a living? That's a, that's a good question. <laughs> So yeah, I work at RBC Bank, so I spend my day you know, at the bank doing banker things. Bankery, finance kind of things. Yeah. Well, this is mysterious to a lot of us because you sound pretty gainfully employed, and that's somewhat of a mystery to some of us. <laughs> but so, so, so bankery guy is, is, uh, uh, is a part of who you are. What else? Anything else? Mm. 
think some small identity things, you know, as far as uh, I, I identify as, you know, somebody who plays soccer in the sports, you can identify as somebody who, uh, you know, is into, into beer and homebrewing, or just sort of those little things just as far as hobbies. I could identify as that way as well. Okay. Hold on to those. We're coming back to you. You're not done. Um, if you would, I mean, this could be like with your friend or spouse or whoever you're with, but like take 45 seconds and describe to somebody beside you some of your identities of who you are as a person. It might be a student. You know, uh, this is the time of year where you don't even have to say student. You just kind of have a crazed look like you're getting ready to go on a postal rage and people know that. But, but, uh, but just tell a couple of your identities in 45 seconds. Then I'll have you switch, whoever you're talking to, to, to switch talkers. So go. All right. I just heard some interesting, like, marital conversations. Like, uh, like Elizabeth Eford just said, I didn't know you were a lawyer, honey. And, <laughs> and Denise just said, you're a musician? And Wade said, you're a school teacher? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, yeah. Hey, I've actually been, I've actually been in a church in East Africa where the altar call went this way. If you've cheated on your spouse in the last six months, please stand up. And about twenty people stood up, <laughs> and they said, "In the last month, stand up." <laughs> a few more jumped up. In the last week, stand up. <laughs> And I ran to the door. I mean, I ran for the door of that bad boy in a hurry because I'm like, I don't know what these conversations are going to be like in the outside of this deal, but I don't want to be near them. <laughs> Tim Holly, you missed my cello com- uh, illustration today. I'm, I'm very frustrated with you. Um, the, uh, those of you who don't know, Tim is one of the best cellists on earth, um, and that's not really an exaggeration. Um, so, Dave, we're back to you. A couple of your identities. Can you describe some specific practices that really form, shape that, those identities? Because you practice these things, you are that. Like an easy one would be, and I've seen you on the fields, you play soccer. And because you, you know, so you're not a soccer poser, you, you, you play soccer. But talk about some of your practices maybe as a banker or a home brewer or uh, anything that you do that, that you're interested in that you mentioned to us earlier. Uh, practices. Um, see, ones that uh, jump to mind. So, like, you see, I identify with you know, I, the school I went to, the alum, so being a part of the alumni association, and going back for home country, like keeping in touch with certain uh, you know networks within that. Um, so it wasn't just a you know go four years and have a minute. It was keeping those uh, relationships going and, and trying to support the school in certain ways or whatnot. So that that practice, um, yeah, as you mentioned, like some of the smaller ones, the soccer player being active in that homebrew and doing that on a semi-regular basis. Um, By the way, I've not gotten ever any of the products of your efforts, so I'm questioning that identity. Uh, but, but uh, come on over, I got some of the greens. Um, <laughs> let's see other practices. Um, You know, I, I guess the occupational one that's kind of the, the practice issue, that's the kind of job. You know, I practice it every day. 
Um, but then you practice it outside of you know work as well, be it helping out you know, here with finance stuff or just interested in you know continuing reading and furthering myself outside of work, but on my own, um, be it certifications or things like that, try to further my career. Sure. Now, everybody in the room, doesn't everybody in the room know someone who has a job but does nothing at it? So having a job doesn't really make you a whatever, right? Uh, so you do stuff. You get like licensing and you take tests and you meet people and you do stuff and you show up on time and you do those things. Okay, here's your part. Uh, with... with um, with somebody, you may even you can be bold and switch, or with the same person, it doesn't matter to me. Um, just talk about a couple practices or a practice or two that you do as a part of one or two of your identities. Something that you do that's a part of that. Be as specific as you can, and then switch like in thirty to forty-five seconds. Okay, go for it. Okay, back to Dave. So, Dave, you mentioned one earlier. But describe something that you do to kind of work out some sense of a gospel identity that you might have. Something that you, that you do that forms that identity, makes that claim credible some way. Something I do to make, to form a gospel identity. Yeah, yeah. Like, so so if, if Jesus was kind of hitting you on this story here and said, you know... <laughs> Which would not be a great moment for me, but you know, like, talk about what, what what do you do that that incorporates you in the kingdom of God? Um. Well, I'd say trying to participate with groups like Durham Camp. Uh, don't always get to actively, you know, be working with uh, the teams in it, but you made a good speech last event I was at, though. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Try, trying to trying to be present and understand that this is something important going on and just trying to be present in that um, that activity and trying to understand why it doesn't matter that we get together as you know a, a diverse group of people to work on these social actions. Um, uh, for me, I think that is a, a trying to participate in the gospel in some way. Um, yeah. Trying to understand a little bit deeper. Well, you're part of Pub Group, which is a conversation that's very oriented around social action, philosophy, theology, embodied theology is what I would call it to some degree. And you, and, and like a lot of folks in that group, you're very involved in Durham Can. Um, Emmaus Way, what else? You, you do some stuff. Talk about how you merge your financial world with Emmaus Way's uh, financial world. All right, so I guess I'd say, yeah, that was, you know, as my job at a bank, I do a lot of forecasting, planning, budget work, and so being able to take my skill set from that and try to apply some of the stuff here, working with our budget, finances, and um, you know, trying to find ways with my training to help us uh, you know, go forward and do it on a smooth basis and make it as easy as possible for all of us. And we can, I can try to apply my skills and, into the church community. I think that is yeah. So you're like a lot of people here, that you, you have various identities, but it's pretty easy to pull out some practices that are deeply connected to those identities. Now back to you guys. Um, a couple of people take that question on. Of uh, Think about yourself 
And you may identify yourself as a, 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 a God follower. You might identify yourself as a God struggler. You might identify yourself, you might have a different set of values. It might be the same values, but a different thing that organizes your values. So I'm not in, uh, trying to impose that question on you. But given those things, talk about some, things, some of the things that you do that identify you as a God follower, a God struggler, somebody who's working on something that's really important to you, that you think this is what people in our culture and our world need to be working on or somebody needs to be working on it for them. A couple of you answer that. What do you do that forms that identity? Yeah, Wendy, that's a hard one. We think it's an easy one, but most people often treat community as kind of an amorphous thing. But like you said, it's a, spa- it's a space. It exists at a certain point in time. And being part of a community is not always easy, right? Uh, but it's important. So that's a good one. And somebody else, like one of the... Yeah, Chad. Besides getting knee injuries, what, what do you do? <laughs> um, well, I chose nursing as my career because I thought that would be helping the least of these. That was my intention. I was like, that's a way I can... Every day in my job, I could be serving the kingdom. But then as, this is actually like more of a confession. Actually, as I've been working there and the frustration I have with everything, um, I have a disconnect. So I'm searching for other ways to like volunteer at reality or get involved in other things that could help the least of these on so that raises a really important question or a topic that it's not always easy to lean into these values of kingdom. It's sometimes, and some of you have done that very intentionally. A lot of you teach, do that because you feel like that's a significant part of your identity as a faithful person. But a lot of times we have to struggle with that. One more person, something you do that forms you as a God follower, a God struggler, or somebody who's working for a set of values that you think are, uh, or a worldview that you think is really important. Jesse. This is kind of counterintuitive. I know it might sound stupid, but I feel guilty a lot. And, and, what I, and, I, and I think, I think there's, there's something about that. Uh, and I like what Carl Barth said, where we in the church are basically we're acknowledging that we're at the end of human possibilities. We're we're standing in that place where we're confronted by God's perfection and recognizing that we actually we're actually not the kingdom of God. It's something we're waiting for and we're hoping for. And working for and admitting that we can't work for it at the same time. Uh, and so I we're when I say I feel guilty, I, I, what I mean is I feel like I can't, I can't get there. I can't embody it. And so I'm, I'm in a posture of hoping for God to act. 
So one of the things you're talking about, Jesse, I think is really important. Some of my favorite people have written about the subject of yearning, the idea of, of part of imagining God's work in the place that we're in or in our lives is yearning for something that's not always fully present. I mean, and that thing that always gets in our way sometimes, and it's a good one, it stops me dead in my tracks sometimes as I, I see things that are unjust, things that are wrong, that I think, why doesn't God inhabit this and make it immediately better? Where I look at my own life and think, there's several things that somehow I feel like would be more faithful, but I haven't ever gotten around to that level of faithfulness, whatever that might be, so to speak. So, so in one sense, one of a, a conviction of God's kingdom is a conviction of yearning of wanting it, of wanting to see it in place, and, and working for it in lots of small and very specific ways. Now, here's your homework assignment on this. This is an important question, and I'd love, I'd love for you to talk about this uh, tonight at the communion table, at um, home groups, pub group, uh, just life over the next couple weeks, and we'll get back to this in about two weeks. But, but simply this, what are our practices as a community that align us with the hope and the expectation and the work of God's kingdom. Uh, in other words, I wasn't anticipating my sermon tonight being something that kind of changed us because this community was formed in this idea that we wanted to be a community of practice. And we've probably beaten ourselves up more in a lead team meeting or a staff meeting or whenever when we've struggled with the practices that we think are important. But I think it's very important for us as a community to mark ourselves and say these practices are essential to us. Like even little simple things. Like we might say setting up this room is an act of worship. We think the space is really important to us. We think the aesthetic of this space is important to us. It's important to us that we're looking at each other and that I'm sitting not even higher than Wade, but only slightly higher than you guys, and that I'm not in the focal point of the room because I don't show up imagining that I'm doing something alone that you need to catch on to, um, that we're talking to each other and listening to each other, and that we're saying, we say it every week, we think that reading the scriptures is a community effort, and that if we read it alone, we're going to struggle with it a lot because if I talked about all of my experiences, you would always be limited to my experience set of somebody who struggles with, fails, and succeeds at some level of embodying the gospel. So that's just a simple practice that for us forms things like scripture, it forms worship, all sorts of things. But that's kind of an assignment. I'd love for you to start thinking about and talking about what are our practices as a community? Because one of the goals that we have for this series is to celebrate those practices. There wasn't this imagination that there were no practices going on, uh, but to celebrate them. But then also to continually, and Dan has been leading kind of a listening session phase that's kind of part of the model of community organizing that we use as kind of a part of Emmaus Way's shape and form. And for us, that's an act of discernment. In other words, we don't imagine that Dan, uh, Wade and Dan and, um, and, and um, Dave Eford and Amy and I would go to like a staff meeting and we would figure out what we're going to do and come and tell you that. Uh, for us, that's a community process. 
so to speak. So I would love for you to begin imagining that. But hold on to that sermon idea, and I will give you plenty of time to interact with that or push back on that. That, that, that final point, that who we are is formed in a space of practice. The space of practice is what, in some ways, defines our identity. It motivates our identity. It shapes our identity. And it's absolutely critical for us to claim ourselves as trying to be a part of the work that God is doing around us. Uh, I think Wade is going to take us now to uh, confession and absolution tonight. And then we will join each other at the table. Yeah, thanks, Tim. This is uh, certainly meant to be uh, part of our practice together. So when we do confess in an absolution as a community, we're telling each other stories of things that we need help in. We need help communicating with each other. We need help in practicing this idea that we don't get things right or we are not able to understand certain things and that we also need a reassurance that we're loved, that we're cared for. This song spark is our confession tonight it's a song where the poetry of the lyric is calling us into uh, a story where violence and uh, where um, an inability to live for someone else or something else just it says obsession with self-preservation will keep us from being able to love and the hope is that we'll dream like john the great dreamer of the gospel john dream of love and that that would uh, lead us forward so sing this as your confession spark that caused the fire was the air you breathe that fanned the flame what do you think you'll solve with violence you'll only spread like a disease until it all comes round again was John the only dreamer Close to the ground and wake up screaming when we lay our cold weapons down. We'll wake up dreaming. with self-preservation I faded when I threw my fear away It's not a thing you can imagine You either lose your fear or spend your life with one foot in the grave Is God the last Sleep with one ear close to the ground and wake up screaming when we lay our cold weapons down. We'll wake up dreaming. 
only love Only love can turn this around I wake up dreaming Everything we lost can be found We'll wake up dreaming Only love, only love can turn this around I wake up dreaming Everything we lost can be found We'll in the peace of God that comes to the table. Though we're strangers, still I love you. Love you more than your mask. And you know you have to trust this to be true And I know that's much to ask But lay down your fears Come and join this feast He has called us here You and me So maybe he's rained down from heaven Little pieces of the sky Little keepers of the promise Falling on these souls the trout has tried In His blood and in His body In this bread and in this wine The peace of Christ Still we're strangers Prisoners in these lonely hearts Though our blindness separates us Still His light shines in the dark And His outstretched arms Still strong enough to reach Beyond these prison bars Set us free So may peace rain down from heaven Like little pieces of the sky Little keepers of the promise 
Falling on these souls, the trout is dry In His blood and in His body In this bread and in this wine Peace to you Peace of Christ Like little pieces of the sky, little keepers of the promise, falling on these souls, the trout is dry. In his blood and in his body, in this bread and in this wine, peace to you, peace of Christ you, peace to of Christ Thanks gentlemen One of the things I had prayed about uh, during the confession tonight is I had hoped that your confession tonight would have been simply this, and it, it comes on the heels of what you said earlier, Jesse, that you just haven't spent enough time imagining and dreaming uh, this time, this space, this now, this year, whatever, because what I love about that is the realization that that is indeed a practice. It's, an, it's a kingdom practice of hoping and yearning and, and imagining, and for many of you guys, inspiration to the work that you do. And, and um, we love that peace song because it, 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 it creates a practice around the table. Uh, let me read to you uh, just a few words from uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, familiar ones uh, if you've been to a Eucharist service before. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We talked a lot about words, but words are powerful because words take things and turn them into practices. And what happens here is Jesus has taken the table and turned it into a very powerful practice, one that this community does every week as a form of an open table, a, a shared table, all of those things. Um, and in a 90-second effort toward a dialogue communion, just that you will continue that idea of imagining our practices. Uh, just a few of you, if you could shout quickly, what are our practices of the table? What are we trying to have our identity shaped by in the practices that we do and the way we do it at the table? Which is not the way everybody does it, and we know that there's lots of great ways to do that. But is that clear enough? Like, what are our practices? What are we trying to convey? What are we trying to be formed in at our communion table? Could a couple of you just spew that real fast? Trigger. Watch how that it used to be that you get the little teeny cup and wait for it. It's almost like you go off on your own in your little sphere and you take it. And it's just about you and your buddy Jesus. But here, we share it with each other. It's, it's done together. So I can 
since I can't take a meeting without you because you've got to break the bread for me and give me the line and I've got to do it for you, so you can't take it without me either. So it's a practice of connection yeah. and inclusion and even what Dan preached about a few weeks ago of, of rejecting <laughs> scarcity. Uh, somebody else, just maybe two other comments. Going off of what Trigger said, I think it's been good for me to have to receive. I know that I can't go up and just take bread myself. Like if someone isn't there, then I'll ask someone, but that has taken me a while to get used to that. So the action receiving from other people is like one of our and Sarah's implying something horribly offensive in our, our world is being in some way dependent on someone else, but we're saying that we're dependent on each other. One more person, just part of our communion practice. Is that Laura? And what does that say to you? Well, that we're not... It's saying that we're not going to... Yeah, everyone is welcome. That, that it's not a, a table where we're going to yeah it's a it's a radically inclusive table and in some ways it's an uncomfortable table because you might receive bread and wine tonight from somebody that you're struggling with or frustrated by and that un, that lack of comfort is significant to us because that tension is part of what we how we grow were you going to say something i was going to say our table is so abundant if you're the last one in line you usually get a big piece of bread <laughs> <laughs> and that's important because the kids are going to come in here in about one second and they're going to waste that table if we don't get to it so I'm going to invite you to the table. Mary Man, you have our, the last word tonight, and Wade is going to take us to the, uh, the benediction. Well, I think the, the doctrine uh, that we're welcome And there's no stratification. We've got multiple professors in this room. Uh, we have ordained people. We have experts. We have artists. But there's no distinction made. Uh, please join me at the table now. And is, when you're not partaking, uh, join Wade and the band in uh, If I Should Fall Behind. So join us at the table. We said we'd walk together, baby, come what may. There'd come a twilight, should we lose our way? If as we're walking, hands should slip free, I'll wait for you. Should I fall behind, wait for me Will we saw we travel, dark side by side We'd help each other, stay in strength
change Each love steps fall So differently Will I wait for you If I should fall behind Wait for me Should I fall behind away from me? Have a good week.